Welcome to Elder Voices, a four-episode podcast of stories and ideas from elders and about elderhood from within Mi'kmaq, African Nova Scotian, Acadian, and Gaelic communities. For those of us in Anglo-Settler communities who have lost the tradition of elderhood, this is an invitation to listen, learn, and remember. For all of us, these voices will offer a window into ways of life in Mi'kma'ki that are different from our own. I am Amanda Bostland, and this is a project of How We Thrive. Elder Voices was made possible through the Department of Seniors and Long-Term Care and was recorded and produced in Mi'kma'ki, the ancestral and unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people. We are all treaty people. During this episode, we meet with two Gaelic women in Inverness County, an elder and a younger woman who is very close to her. One of the biggest things I've learned from Gaelic elders is to slow down and make time for people and to prioritize people and connections and relationships. That was Emily MacDonald, or Emac in Gaelic. Emily MacDonald is rooted in Glen of Frogs, also known as Ainsley Glen. She was drawn in her youth to Gaelic language and culture and has taken advantage of every opportunity to explore, learn, and share. She has a Celtic Studies and Bachelor of Education degree from St. FX University and has focused on community-based education. Emily has started Gaelic youth programs and developed and led Gaelic early years and school-based programming. She enjoys visiting and speaking Gaelic with elders, especially along with her children, Archie and Rosie. Following is a conversation that Emac and I had around her kitchen table before heading over to visit her dear friend and elder, Anna McKinnon, or Almac. First, you'll hear Emily answering my question about the role of elders in her community from her perspective. Well, I think elders are keepers of traditional knowledge. Um, I think they're ones who are also connected to their place and time in in the generations. Um, and they have a sense of that, of who, who they are and who they came from. Um, and with that traditional cultural knowledge, that's stories, songs, remedies, um, traditional foods, things like that. Remedies. So what can you give me any examples of what kind of remedies... Or- <laughs> um, yeah, the first one that came to my mind was um, my grandmother. She, she, I would call her an elder Gale. Um, she had a lot of traditional knowledge and was one to share it with others. And um, yeah, she had lots of different remedies. Um, there was one for toothache. I think it was a clove in your tooth for a toothache. Um, the reason I laughed when I started was because the first one that came to my mind was tansy, which was used um, oh. as birth control. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so different plants. Um, tea van. And I'm not sure what that is in English. It might be, um, is it pearly everlasting? Then make a tea out of that and use it as a remedy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, and I could look it up too. I have a list of ones that Nanny gave me, but yeah, I don't know. That's the first that came to mind. Um Mm-hmm. And then when you say that your your grandmother was an elder Gale, um, mm-hmm. that I guess that's one of the things I was wondering too is um, is everybody as they get older considered an elder, or what makes somebody be considered an elder? I think um, I think anyone you talk to 
might have a different opinion or perspective on it, but I don't, I don't actually think that everyone's just automatically an elder. Um, though I would say that the native speakers who were older that I have met and, and spent time with, I would consider them elders, um, because they have that cultural, um, knowledge and, and I guess with the native speakers, they're in a chain of speakers that have has never been broken for generations. So um, my parents' generation is actually the first in our family that grew up without the language. Mm. So the, the the elders that I've worked with, they've had that language link for, for generations and generations. Wow. Mm-hmm. So the next generation of elders coming up might be the first that they're not all native speakers. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I guess I should add too, there's also people who grew up um, so right now the Gaelic community, there really isn't a physical Gaelic community where everyone speaks Gaelic, you know, we can walk to each other's houses, things like that. Though there is a group free of and fast that's working towards creating an actual intentional Gaelic community, which is really cool. But, um, so right now there's not a physical Gaelic community in Nova Scotia, but at one time there were like in this area, Glownamac and it's called in Gaelic Ainsley Glen, um, all the houses, all the homes had Gaelic and up Sky Glen, it was the same and over in Mabu and in Iona. So there were physical Gaelic communities. So there were people um, that grew up in those communities that were in that kind of middle time where the language wasn't passed on to them. However, they were around the language and they were around the music and the stories. So they have a lot of that cultural knowledge just might not be able to share it through the medium of Gaelic. Mm-hmm. I see. Mm-hmm. So I've heard the term elder used, obviously, but I've also um, come across tradition bearers. Mm -hmm. And are they used interchangeably or what is more common or more preferred? When I started with Gaelic, the term that I heard a lot, so this is like in the the late 90s and in in the early 2000s, it was tradition bearer that I heard a lot. And I think it was Jim Watson um, who was an instrumental person in the Gaelic community for for connecting younger people with Gale, elder Gales and for getting programs going and things like that. He worked at the Highland Village. Um, he was the one that I heard using the term tradition bearer. And, mm. um, and when I first heard it, I didn't actually know exactly what he meant. But um, yeah, so it's those people that have that, that the language and, and the tradition together. But then okay. with time, so I find cl- like nowadays I'm hearing elder more mm-hmm. and that's a term that I hear often in the the Mi'kmaq community so Wagomans just down the road and they use the term elder a lot so I do like that we're using it in the Gaelic community too uh-huh. yeah uh-huh. I like I like the the feeling of it like um that the older people have some wisdom to impart to the next generation yeah so can you imagine if the role of elder didn't exist like coming from kind of a more like my background, for instance, and we don't really have that role anymore, elders. Yeah. And so it's just interesting to think about people that are from, you know, have that, you have that, like, what do you think would change or, or be, I mean, I'm just assuming, of course, you'd be missing a lot. But can you imagine if it didn't exist, kind of what how it would change the feel of your own life, maybe? Oh, yeah. Well, I even think once once these elders, these native Gaelic speakers are gone, um, I still, I question like, what, what's it going to look like? And yeah, I mean, most of them are very, or most of the ones that were born here are very old. So, it, you know, it's only a matter of time b- before we don't have them. And I just feel like, 
I'm thinking of a compass. Like this is a, they, they kind of help orient us to where we are, where we are in time. And it just, uh, I don't know. When I think of it, I just feel like the, the feeling of being lost. Like I try to put words to it. <sighs> yeah. I, I just think that they're a good reference point for us and, and help us kind of, they've helped me kind of get to know who I am better and, and where I fit in and a sense of belonging and all that. So I just mm. feel like I would, ha I wouldn't have those things if I didn't have the time with the elders. Yeah. Wow. As a younger person, do you have this feeling of um, like you're an up and coming elder and what that feels like to be potentially moving into that role for other folks in the future? Yeah, <laughs> that feels kind of funny to me. I don't know, because, you know, I was brought up on Nintendo and Nirvana and then just to, you know, eventually sit in the role of Gaelic elder feels kind of funny, but. <laughs> I don't know. One of the biggest things I've learned from Gaelic elders is to have time for people, to slow down and make time for people, and to prioritize people and connections and relationships. Mm. So I feel like, despite the fact I, you know, I'm a '90s child, that I I can impart those things to younger people, and I consciously want to do that. Mm. So I I don't know. It feels like a big title, but. I, I feel okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I guess you've got some time to, to figure it out and work into True. it. True, yeah, well. yeah. Is there an age minimum? Yeah, <laughs> age minimum? <laughs> um, I don't know, I think 50 sounds good. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I got to put it. I already have, like, very gray hair, so I think I'm on my way <laughs> physically. <laughs> Can you take us to a time where you were guided or supported by an elder? Um, well, I guess I'll start off by saying when I go to Anna's, um, it's always a very warm greeting. She's always so happy to see me and her arms are open with a big hug and, and always, uh, like, oh, it's so long since I've seen you, even though it hasn't really been that long, but just, it feels long, I guess. Uh, so she's always really happy and warm, um, and it doesn't matter the time of day I've landed. She's, she doesn't get up super early in the morning, but I've landed in, in the morning and just big smile on her face. I've landed late at night. There was one time, um, I was at the hospital with someone and they were in outpatients and it was a really long wait in Inverness. And it was, I remember the stars. It was actually, you know what it was? It was New Year's Eve. Oh. And Inverness looked beautiful, stars all over the sky and, the person I was with was going to be a while and they said, it's okay, you know, if you want to go and get some food or something like that, I'm going to go run up to Anna's. So I ran up to Anna's house and I knocked on, well, I don't even know. Yeah, I knocked on the door, I guess, since it was late. I usually don't knock because, you know, she's always there and she doesn't mind when we land. But mm. um, anyway, so I went in and she was so happy to see me and... We had actually, I had supper with her because we were in a rush that night to get to the hospital and... uh she had leftovers and I had a nice meal with her and all the time in the world. And she just, it just warms my heart thinking about her because she's just such a beautiful soul. And yeah. And, um, and that night, um, when I was leaving, she said that she'd say the rosary for the person I was with. And, and often when I call her, if I drop in, she's in the middle of rosary, uh, saying the rosary for people. So mm -hmm. there's that faith piece, I think too, with the, and it, I don't think it necessarily has to be the Catholic faith, but just she has, she prays a lot and a lot of the elders faith is very important to them. 
the spiritual piece. And, and, uh, also too, when I visit, um, and anyone who knows Elmac, um, know that you're going to hear stories, lots of stories. And her stories involve people from her childhood. And, um, so she was born in 33 and a lot of her stories are from the late thirties, um, early forties. And she's talking about people at that time. And all of a sudden it feels like time travel. All of a sudden, all these characters are alive and, you know, I'm getting a sense of what they were like and I'm rooting for this person. I'm like, Oh, I can't believe that person said that, you know, and this happened, you know, back in the forties, like, like, decades ago but it just all comes alive when i'm sitting with anna in her kitchen so it's just funny that two people can be sitting together and all of a sudden this world is unfolding yeah so she's a time she takes you time traveling she does oh. yeah hmm yeah oh that's lovely yeah i'm, I'm excited to hear some of her stories oh, in a yeah. little while oh too. you will <laughs> <laughs> good it would be great to hear a little bit about the bunas bar program mm-hmm. So, um, the bonus bad program is a mentorship program. Um, did you already know Anna or did you meet her through this bonus bad program? No. Um, I was involved with Gaelic and took Gaelic class. I took Gaelic in high school and then I took it in university and then I started getting involved with more Gaelic community Gaelic programs, like the Gaelic Ballot program, which was a program um, based on another program from Scotland called Total Immersion Plus. It's an immersion um, program. And um, so I was involved with the Gaelic Ballad program. And then I got an opportunity to live down in Marguerite with Carmen MacArthur. She's another Gaelic learner who has a farm. And um, she had just finished the Bonus Bad program, I think. So it was a mentorship program where she... And Mary Jane Lamond and Shannon McMullen, they worked with Jim Watson as their primary mentor, I believe. And he took them visiting different Gaelic elders, Gaelic native speakers. And they'd do things like a little little chores for the, the elders or they'd do some baking or cooking or whatever they needed, you know, carrying wood, whatever. Mm. Um, so when I was living with Carmen's, the phone would be ringing all the time and be Anna. And I would be like, Oh geez, I don't know if I can answer the phone. Cause my Gaelic wasn't that great at that time. And Anna's Gaelic is beautiful. And she talks a lot. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to catch anything, but I did. I'd answer the phone and then I got to know her a little bit better. And then there was a chance to do the bonus bad program. I think it was two years later. Cause my little boy was about a year and a half and he was just starting to speak which was great timing because I was only speaking Gaelic to him and I'd take him to Anna's house and, uh, you know, she'd only speak Gaelic to him and he was hearing a lot of Gaelic. So it was great. So I worked with her. That was the first time I was in the bonus bad program. So it's pairing up. Um, I don't want to say younger people. I think it can be for any adults, but at that time I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a, it's a program where you match kind of intermediate or more advanced level learners with, an elder just to up your language and your cultural knowledge. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, um, put on by, um, Gaelic affairs, uh-huh. which is through so, the Nova Scotia government. So that's probably been really important in helping keep the, the culture and the, and the role even of elders kind of strong. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's brought the kind of the elders to the forefront in that program. A lot of it has included recordings. So making recordings of the elders that you've worked with and, um, 
Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you're also capturing the, the history and the culture for other people mm-hmm. to Exactly. Like, yeah, database. and it's great when kids can be involved too. Like Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that sounds fantastic. So so you know, while I'm hearing about this, I'm also thinking like, how can some of these things be put into our, you know, other cultures too? And mm-hmm. what what are the ingredients kind of or <laughs> Exactly. And yeah. I'm trying to remember it was based off there was a woman come up from California and Lo- Leanne Hinton and she had worked on programs matching elders and learn language learners. I can't remember what culture it was at oh. this time, but it, yeah. So, so she came up to Cape Breton to do um, a workshop for the Gaelic community at the Gaelic College in St. Anne's. Oh. And then that's when it really took off. So. Oh, I love that too. Yeah. This intercultural learning. Definitely. And inspiration. And that Total Immersion Plus program, Gaelic Iqbala, mm-hmm. that was based off of um, a program by the native peoples of New Zealand, I believe. Very yeah, cool. So lots of different cultures involved. Yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. When you look back at how the Gales were educated long ago, it was through the, the Taikele, which is a, a visiting house. It'd be one house in the community where people would go and there'd be stories shared and songs and you, the younger people would learn etiquette and things like that. So, so, some of these programs that we have in the Gaelic community now are modeled off of that traditional educational style. Even in my grandmother's time, I mentioned my grandmother, she lived down in Ottawa Brook near Iona and um, her house was really, it seems like certain houses in the community were gathering places. So it wasn't so formal, but um, those are places where, you know, you could sit down and have a cup of tea and hear a story and maybe hear a song and, and people would drop in. It wouldn't be so formal that you'd call ahead and book a time. But at that time it was just dropping in and, and Anna's house is kind of like that too, where it's, you can just drop in. It's, that's kind of the traditional visiting culture is that drop in style and, and what you're going to get when you get there, you know, that you're going to get the cup of tea and the story or whatever. So, uh-huh. yeah. And there, I think that's kind of waned, but there's a conscious effort now to, to keep things like that going. Uh-huh. The visiting culture. Maybe before I ask you to introduce Anna, is there sure. anything else you just wanted to share about your thoughts on on elderhood or the Gaelic community in relation to that? Um, I guess that spending time with elders for me has offered me an alternative to kind of the mainstream narrative of just mainstream North American life. Mm-hmm. I guess Gaelic culture has offered that to me, which has been very fulfilling and has really given meaning to my life. So I don't know what my life would look like without the Gaelic presence. Um, so it just has created a lot of meaning, you know, talking about things like spirituality and knowing, knowing a bit of genealogy and kinship, things like that and stories and songs. It just has really given me uh, a sense of belonging and and meaning in my own life. And I thank the elders for that. Hmm. Wow, it's beautiful to hear you talk about that. And I can just imagine that other people like you are going to try really hard to keep this going, right? Like, mm-hmm. And that's why it's fun, actually, to get a lot, get a, to get together with my friends, because a lot of them in the Gaelic community feel, feel that excitement, like, oh, we're going to go to Almac's house. And so um, just last week, a few of us got together and we take our kids. If, well, my kids are in school now, but two of my friends, they have little, little ones and mm-hmm. we take the kids and we go and we have tea and sing songs. And it's just really beautiful when it's that intergeneration. So the little people and the adults and, and then the elders. So yeah, yeah it's very special. Hmm. 
So you'll be taking me over to visit Anna or Almac. And uh, would you just um, give us a little introduction of her, please? Sure. It's a pleasure to introduce my good friend and mentor, Anna McKinnon. Almac, as we call her in Gaelic, grew up on a rural coastline of Cape Breton Island with her mother, father, and sister Catherine. In her words, Gaelic is the first meal she ever ate. In her childhood, Ruin Chewi, Site Point, it was home to several Gaelic settler families who all greatly relied on one another as an important part of daily life. In her adult years, Almac worked at Freddie Malcolm's grocery store in downtown Inverness for over 30 years. With the revival of interest in Gaelic in the 90s and early 2000s, Almac got very involved in the local Gaelic community, supporting learners in programs such as Gaelic Agbala language immersion classes and Bonus Bad, a mentorship program. Almac has been so generous, encouraging the next generation of Gales to carry forward the language and the culture of her people. Hello. Who are you? Family Hashif. Great Hello, Ham. Family. I guess I she doesn't have any you have a warm heart oh warm heart well i'm glad you think so she put on the light it's dark in here I can't see you. And pretend that Sisu was the kitchen. Huh? Carson has Sisu and Sisu was the kitchen. Okay, we'll go out to the kitchen. Yeah, sit up in the kitchen. Kitchen, you're making kitchen. She stopped in to uh, talk to me about Gaelic and elders and things yes. like that. But I mean, with me, I was in the house where it was spoken and I didn't have any English when I went to school. It was all Gaelic I wow. had. So that wasn't yesterday. No. <laughs> I'm 89. If I live till next June, I'll be 90. So, and I was a very sickly person when I was young. Very sickly. I was, my dad, my mother died when I was five and a half. And she was buried on the 23rd of December. So we never, we had celebrated Christmas, but it was never the same after, you know, her not being with us. And we would, there would have been five of us if we had all lived. My first, my mom and dad's first child was a boy, and he only lived a few hours. Then my dad died in 1954. I was 21. And he told me on his deathbed, he said, you'll make sure you take care of your sister. She's five years older than you are, but you have your sight, and she doesn't. And I said, yes, I will. And I think I did that. My father was a carpenter, and my uncle Alan, my father's brother, was a carpenter. But they built a beautiful home. There was an old pantry of the dining room and the living room. And they called it, they used to keep the flour and stuff there for the winter in barrels that have a barrel. And, and this, is a commun- this is the area that you grew up in? This is where I grew up in, huh? Yeah. 
And then, like I said, my dad then lost his eye. He was cutting kindling, and a kindling flew up and hit him in the eye. And uh, I guess it bled terribly, but he had to leave. He walked to Inverness. We were eight miles from Inverness. So he walked to Inverness, and he went to the doctors in Inverness. It was Dr. Ratchford. And Dr. Ratchford told him, go over to your sister's. And in the morning, go to Halifax on the train. And when they got to Halifax the next day, the doctor in Halifax said to him, who is your doctor in Inverness? He said, Dr. Ratchford. He said, why didn't he send you to Halifax yesterday? I could have saved your eye. Today, he said, there's an odor offered, so it has to be taken out. So he ended up with the one eye. And I often close my eye, you know, I'll be thinking of him and wondering, it must have been terrible to have to live with one eye. And we went to town with the horse and wagon. And um, we went to church every Sunday. They'd have to leave home. That go to, there was half past ten mass. And they'd have to leave. I think it took us two hours and a half to go to, or three hours to go from our place to church in Inverness. And, uh, but we had our own meat, and we had, my dad made curd, curds and, and cheese. He made beautiful country cheese. And, um, we were never hungry. They'd have sheep, and he always raised a pig. They had built a house for the pig up at the edge of the woods. And, of course, pigs ate practically everything and anything. Then there was a big pond behind the barn. We had geese, and they used to see how nice they used to swim in the water. So peaceful looking. But people visited people, and that was mostly the way it was. People would come across the coal mines, the Bain Vidach. And now you couldn't get that. Well, one time you could get over there with a horse and wagon. See, the, the ocean was coming up and taking the way the road and um, there was at one time there was only a little path like this and I mean if you fell over it you're going to land in the water because the ocean was right below it anyway those days are gone Mm. I don't think they'll be back anytime soon but we never know Mm. what's out there waiting for us I probably won't see it, but somebody else will. You guys might see something that I won't see. Hmm. What What do you hope that we'll see that you might not? I have hope been you able see to... good life and happy times and no sadness. Hmm. I had a son at a wedlock. I had to give him up for adoption. I paid his board for four months trying to get him home. And I'd have to quit working, and I couldn't afford to quit working. So I was 51 years. I didn't know where he was. So then Alice Freeman came up one day, and she said to me, Anna, would you like to look for your son? And I stopped because I often used to wonder. I wonder if I ever went looking for him, would he accept me? And uh, I said to her, yes, I would. So she started from there, and... I remember Jacqueline and Paul took me up to Truro to meet him at a restaurant there for the first time. And it was just, I was just a a wreck. So anyway, that was the way my life went. So he called me three times the night of the storm. 
He was worried about me. Anna was saying when she was young, they, her father used to keep a real close eye on the weather. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was very good. And then when they'd kill a beast, a cow, they could tell on the part of the stomach the, what the weather was going to be like. They were very smart in those years. Hmm. I mean, there's smart people in the world today, but they really had to be given credit for how they learned it on their own, with and, their own minds. And do you think there's a difference between like book smart and like nature smart? I or? think so. I think all the difference in the world. I yeah. think so. They know everything. I mean, they could tell everything by... Like I said, when they'd kill a beast, they could tell the weather. And I mean, even my dad watched the new moon, every mm. new moon, whatever direction the new moon was, whatever way it faced, mm. he'd know what the weather was going to be like. Really? Yep. Even if he was a fisherman at one time. And how did he know those things? He just learned them, uh, like, how would you put it, just with his own mind by watching what the days were like and what the sky looked like. And, of course, his dad did it before him, and he likely picked up a lot of it from him. Mm. It was amazing. I mean, I go to bed at night now, and if I can't sleep, I'll be thinking of these things. I'll be thinking how smart they were. You know, they they, they, they were fishermen, and, and they, like I said, they watched the time of the moon for butchering cattle or whatever. Mm. And... Uh, Everything was by the moon. Everything was by the moon. Wow. I guess. Do you want to go in the living room? Want to come in with the living room with me? He can stay. Come on in. Okay, thank you. He can stay. I sang lots of Gaelic songs. Would you mind singing a song? Oh, I don't even know if I remember. Amak shared many more stories with Amak and me while her dinner was being prepared in the kitchen. It was cozy and comfortable. Her living room overlooks the sea, and the light of the lowering sun made the grass and trees glow. The sound in the background is the rocking chair. We will end this visit by audio with one more story. Tell her about the little girl in the woods. Oh yeah, my father told me that, about the little girl in the woods. If I was bad, he told me there was a little girl in the woods. He met her, he was used to cut wood, he'd go way into the woods above the house. And he said she had a little cabin and she had a little stove in it. And uh, he, she'd come over, tell him to come over when he went up to the woods to get the wood. And uh, she'd make tea for him. Oh, and I was so jealous of this little one. And I always <laughs> wanted him to take me to the woods so I could meet her. But he always had an excuse. You know, you're too young and it's too far away and you'll be too tired and then I'll have to carry you. And um, That was his way of teaching you, though, how to be. He was trying to compare you to the little girl in the woods. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is that how... 
Is that uh, something your dad did often? Would he te- try to teach you things in the way of stories? Well, he, he, he'd always tell you different stories, you know, the stories that were nice to listen to and things that he had to do when he was growing up or whatever. Hmm. Well, I really appreciate you having having me come to your house you and come visit. come to my house anytime. Thank you. You're as welcome as the flowers in May. Thank you for listening to Elder Voices, a project of How We Thrive. To learn more about what else How We Thrive is involved in within the beautiful lands of Mi'kma'ki, find the website at www.howwethrive.org and sign up for the e-newsletter at the bottom of the page. We look forward to you joining us for the other three episodes of Elder Voices. Salam Tell him, Crunyak, go on the ball. You in left for high in a grass. Tell him, Crunyak, go on the ball. You stole the jacket.